0: Our sermon today is from Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 21. These are God's words. Therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. On account of this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You can take your seats. Because we have almost completed another trip around the sun, this will be a sermon for New Year's Eve specifically We are closing the lid on another set of 365 days, and we're about to open a fresh set. So I thought it would be good to carefully consider how we plan to walk into the new year. This passage begins with, look carefully how you walk. So we are going to look closely at how we are moving our feet. We all walk with our natural legs without thinking about it. In fact, it pays not to think about how you're swinging your hands and feet if you don't want to feel a sudden wave of insecurity. That can easily throw off your natural rhythm. Walking is something we do as adults. We should have mastered it by now, so we don't really want to find out that we have a wonk in our walk. But our Christian walk, and I'll refer to it as our spiritual walk from time to time, is different and that the natural rhythms of our spiritual hands and feet often need to be adjusted so that our walk is not off-kilter, so that it is truly Christian. Our spiritual walk is similar to our natural walk and that we can go about it without giving it a second thought. We just walk. We just assume this is the Christian way of going about things. But if we are not careful... If we do not consider what our walk looks like, as our passage calls us to, we could be throwing around our limbs like some demented cartoon character. As many of you know, I used to work in animation, and one surefire way to make a character funny was to give him a weird walk cycle. The way that someone walks speaks and tells you something about them, about their character, Now I know that none of you have a demented walk. I didn't choose this passage because I think you walk a little freaky. I think the opposite. Nevertheless, we are called to carefully look at our walk and consider what might need to change. Outside of this church though, I think it's fair to say, there are some who claim the name of Christ with truly weird walk cycles. I discovered the Holy Nope channel on YouTube this summer. And found that there are new levels to the wacky walking of so-called Christians. Have you guys seen that channel? Just out the gate. Just crazy. Why is this channel so popular? Because a weird walk cycle is funny. That channel might be more funny if there wasn't so much at stake in the Christian walk. It ends up being infuriating. The world is often laughing at Christians because of the way these people walk. Prosperity charlatans that everyone on the outside looking in can see straight through what they're doing. We see them slinking around on soft toes like the villainous thieves they are. Sometimes the world has good reason to laugh, but other times the world laughs at us for stupid reasons too. They don't understand why someone would give effort to walk with good posture, a sober-minded poise, and a definite direction in mind. The natural Christian walk cycle is weird to the world. It doesn't have enough God-abandoning swagger to be socially acceptable. With all this being true, we need to obey our passage today and look carefully at our walk, not to avoid being laughed at, But because, this is the reason that Paul gives, the days are evil. The stakes are raised by the state of the days. A proper, wise, balanced walk is necessary in evil days. So as we walk into the new year, with fresh evils ahead of us, let's consider what it is to walk as a follower of Christ. We need to carefully consider our walk and be ready to change the rhythms we have fallen into. If we need to. At this time of year, I've often heard disparaging sermons about New Year's resolutions, since that is what we as humans, Christian or non Christian alike, have an impulse to do toward the end of the year. And there is something fair about a sermon that takes that angle. The commitments we make are often too radical and in a short time prove to be unrealistic. They are often commitments to abstain from trifling things or to achieve relatively worthless feats. And we know that Scripture tells us that these raw commitments to switch things up do nothing to rid us of the flesh. And there is also the teaching of James 4. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Many of these New Year's resolutions give no acknowledgement to the sovereign hand of God. And this is something we must consider as we plan for anything in the new year. But acknowledging all the bad ways that New Year's resolutions can and have been made, as another year passes us by, I do think there is something right about the impulse in Christians and non-Christians to make New Year's resolutions. We should want the new year to be more fruitful, more prosperous, to find more contentment with our days. So a fresh set of days holds out the possibility of better things, if only we can change. And as we see the end of another year go by us, it is natural to feel that time is slipping away from us. That year is gone. We're not getting that one back. It is wisdom to number your days and to consider what we might achieve with the time we have left. I'm sure you're all familiar with Psalm 90 verse 12, which says, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. We want to embody this kind of wisdom and carefully consider the time we have to walk on this earth. Our passage today ties together these ideas we've been considering in this introduction, looking carefully how we walk and redeeming the time allotted to us. I believe that if we are to be doers of this passage and not hearers only, we will be making wise New Year's resolutions, whether we call them that given them that name or not. Now, it is true that Paul gave us these exhortations for every day of the year. But at the end of a full year, it makes sense to look back on a body of days that made up that year and consider in a unique way how we might walk for a new year of days. There is a sense in which all days are alike. That's what the Bible tells us. But it is also true that there is only one New Year's Eve on our calendar, And we understand why every culture considers the changeover of year as something significant. There is something true and transcendent about the excitement you get when you count down the end of the year at midnight. God made time and in his wisdom determined the measurement of time by the movement of celestial bodies. There is a glory and weightiness to this. God gave it that weight. There is a glory in this planet, our planet, and the people on it doing another lap around the sun. And whether we acknowledge that God did this or not, it typically provokes mankind to wonder and to consider time and their place in it with a fresh dose of gravity. And it is understandable how this leads us to make resolutions and to to consider how we have walked this past year. So, we are going to lean into this common human inclination around New Year's Eve and consider our walk, but we are going to do so by applying this one section of a letter written by Paul to the Ephesians. There is a lot that could be said about having a walk that is pleasing to the Lord, but I'm going to limit my applications to the ones that Paul has made here in this text. That way, this sermon will come with a direct kind of authority. And since Paul is the inspired author of these God-breathed words, it follows that he knows something of the primary considerations that all Christians need when evaluating their walk. So let's read the first two verses of our passage again. All, All the verses are there in your printout there. Therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now I chose a verse that began with, therefore... So I think we should briefly consider what came before this section. The idea of walking as Christians is throughout the previous verses. We are urged in verse 2 to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the sum of the Christian walk. Walking in love, imitating Christ and being a pleasing living sacrifice to God. This is the general standard that we should measure our walk by. Paul then gives a bunch of ethical requirements for the Christian life. And he does so by contrasting the, walk, the walks of those who are in the kingdom of darkness and those who are in the kingdom of light. Ephesians 5 verses 7 through 11. Therefore do not become partakers with them, those walking in darkness. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. The contrast Paul sets up between the walk of those who are in darkness and the walk of those who are in light helps us understand the verses we are focusing on today. He abandons the light and dark imagery but picks up a new binary set of symbols. When he says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, he is highlighting two manners of walking once again. Was it necessary that he said, not as unwise, but as wise? If he had said, walk in wisdom, wouldn't that by itself exclude walking as the unwise do? Yes, it would but he wants both the unwise and the wise methods of walking to be in frame here. In the same way that he contrasted dark and light, he holds up an unwise way and a wise way to walk. He uses multiple binaries to describe similar things. There is a dark way and a light way, an unwise and a wise. In this life, walking is inevitable. You are going to walk but you must decide whether it will be the unwise kind of walking or the wise kind. Stating these two opposite but equal things is not adding unnecessary words. It is highlighting the not whether but which principle at play here. Walking in the light is, and walking in wisdom requires an intentional rejection of the darkness. You have to reject one way of walking and embrace the other. After giving this binary Paul then highlights one key characteristic of wise walking. The wise will, uh, it says uh, in verse 15, look carefully how you walk, not as wise but as unwise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. This is wise walking. The wise will not let time slip by, but they seize it. The word for redeeming here is usually associated with purchase. For example, you might redeem a slave with money. Redeeming time is more than making the most of the time as it passes. It is intentionally laying hold of it. It is claiming, it, claiming time for godly purposes. You see the future coming toward you. You make a plan for how you will use it, and you implement that plan. Using time this way requires effort and comes at a cost. We have to redeem it. There is a podcast I used to listen to often, and its tagline at the end was, Seize the day for Jesus Christ. That is what we're talking about here. Seizing the day, every day, every hour for Jesus Christ. This is how the Christian walks in wisdom. This is what it is to walk in the light. Christians redeem the time that is given to them by seizing it for Jesus Christ. Then Paul gives the Ephesians a reason why they ought to redeem the time. Because the days are evil. I think there is uh, I think there will be some value in meditating on this reason for some time, so we're going to do that. Paul could have just asserted that Christians must redeem the time. I think every Christian would have understood why that was a reasonable expectation or command. All of time is God's. All the time we get is a gift from him, and we should want to use that gift well for his glory, regardless of how evil the days are whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, to alter the glory of God, right? But since Paul highlights the evilness of the days, making sure that we redeem the time because of the presence of evil, Paul has a narrower application in mind than simply glorifying God with the use of time. The evilness of the days makes redeeming the time necessary for living. It is true that if we redeem the time, It will glorify God and maximize our fruitfulness but there is also a protective element to seizing or purchasing time in this way we'll consider this protective element soon but first I want us to consider what these evil days are was Paul talking about the particular evil days of his time and was he speaking to the Ephesian church in particular and if not how is it that he can characterize all days as evil? Are they all equally as evil? Will Christ's kingdom ever redeem time so that the character of the days will be different in the future before his return? These are some hard questions to answer, and I spent a fair bit of my prep time meditating on these. I don't think this text by itself can give us a definitive answer to all of them, But I do think that with careful exegesis, we can understand what Paul was referring to here. First, it says, the days, definite article, the days, are evil. And the days here are obviously plural, days. This implies a more general understanding of all days. He does not say, these days are evil, or those days will be evil, but the days in general are evil. Also, the word for day here has a specific meaning. It refers to a literal day. Not an age or a time, but the time between sunup and sundown. A day, an ordinary day, plain old regular 24-hour day, is what is being called evil here, and he includes all of them. The days are evil. So what do we make of this? Firstly, I don't think... This by itself would exclude the possibility of the days, in some sense, becoming less evil as the kingdom of light advances through time. As Christians, obey this passage and redeem the time, what are they redeeming it from? I think they are redeeming it from what would be evil if it were left to itself. So time, in some sense, can become less evil if it is redeemed. If time was always evil in the same way and to the same degree throughout time, that would exclude the possibility of Christians redeeming it. But Christians, through the power of the Spirit, can redeem time and bring it into conformity to the will of God. And since this is the case, practically speaking, redeeming the time will look different for different members of the church depending on the age they find themselves in evil will always exist in the world until Jesus finally rids the world of evil on the last day. But we know that some evil will be put under Christ's feet in time and history. This being the case, we would not be faithfully redeeming the time if we took on already conquered enemies. That would be a waste of time. You need to understand the days you live in in order to redeem the days from the evil at hand. With all this being said, I think exegetically we have to say that Paul intended to characterize all days, his days and ours, as evil. And obviously, he was right to do so. This is the Apostle Paul. As I've already acknowledged, evil will always be present until the end. The devil will prowl like a roaring lion until he is banished to hell. All days will hold a measure of evil. And we need to live in light of that fact. We need to conceptualize time this way. We live in an age of evil, and the individual days should also be considered evil, is what Paul is telling us. Paul's concern here was not the church's eschatology, his concerns were practical. He was concerned about Christian living. He wanted the people of God to live a particular way in light of the ever-present evils of each day. He wanted his hearers to walk in the light, redeeming the time, so that the evil days might not overcome them. This kind of walk is the walk of wisdom. It is not a head in the sand kind of Christianity. It is a wide-eyed facing of reality. The days are evil people. We need to redeem the time. Even if we were to interpret this passage with the most extreme preterist reading, let say so that it was all about the past. Are our days here in New Zealand evil? Of course they are. This is a land full of evil. This being the case, the reason Paul gives for redeeming the time strikes with the same force in our day. We must be redeeming the time, redeeming the time for the days are evil in our time. If we do not, we are, in a sense, putting our heads in the sand. We ignore the present evil and act as though it would not swallow us up over time if we ignore it. This brings us back to the function of this reason. We are to redeem the time because the days are evil. Why redeem the time for this reason in particular? Here is what Calvin said in his commentary on this passage. Quote, Everything around us tends to corrupt and mislead, so that it is difficult for godly persons who walk among so many thorns to escape unhurt. Such corruption, having infected the age, the devil appears to have obtained tyrannical sway, so that time cannot be dedicated to God without being in some way redeemed. And what shall the price of its redemption be? to withdraw from the endless variety of allurements which would easily lead us astray, to rid ourselves of the cares and pleasures of the world, and in a word, to abandon every hindrance. I think this is really helpful imagery. We walk amongst thorns in this evil age. It is true, unless we are dealing with the thorns that surround us daily, we will not escape unhurt when we walk. They will hook us up and choke us out if we allow them to through idleness. So if we are to seize the day for Jesus Christ, we need to do it with the machete in our hands. We need to clear the way for our walk. Abandon every hindrance, laying aside every weight. We cannot walk as though we were not surrounded by evil every day. This brings us to verse 17. On account of this, that is on account of the days being evil, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Part of redeeming the time as a faithful Christian is devoting a good chunk of it to studying the will of the Lord, to studying His Word. If we do not attempt to understand what the will of the Lord is, we will walk like foolish people. We will walk straight into the thorns of this evil age, not knowing the danger they pose to our souls. We need to know the will of the Lord in these times. Knowing the will of the Lord in this case will protect us from the evil around us. It teaches us how to use time, what we must reject, what we must embrace, how much time we need to devote to one thing, and how little we need to devote to another. It grants us wisdom, the ability to discern what the balanced Christian walk ought to look like. This command to understand the will of the Lord is really an explanation of how we are to obey Paul's initial command. When we are being careful about how we walk, uh, we are being careful about how we walk when we take care to walk in the will of God. This is wisdom. And this is how we will survive in the days of evil. Now, it is interesting where Paul goes to next in our passage. After highlighting the necessity of redeeming the time, he tells us one thing we should not be doing and one thing we should be doing. It's another binary, but this time it's a practical application of the principle. These two things were the net, what naturally came to mind for Paul when he considered how Christians need to redeem the time. I think they show us something of the best and worst priorities that, can be, that we can have when utilizing the time that we're given. So what are they? Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine. For so that is dissipation. That is how we would not be redeeming the time. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord. That is what faithfully redeeming the time looks like. That's the two applications Paul makes. Obviously there is more to redeeming the time than singing. But Paul speaks here of what is of primary importance. Worship. We are filled, uh, when we are filled with the Spirit thanksgiving will envelop all that we do. And specifically thanksgiving in the form of songs. This is what we were made for. We were made to be worshippers that overflow with gratitude throughout the day. Getting drunk, on the other hand, does nothing to redeem the time. It is a wasteful pastime. It is an attempt to escape from the responsibilities of time for a fleeting buzz. Facing time requires sober-mindedness, especially since the days are evil. Drunkenness drops the guard down. The evenness of the day requires us to have our guard up. Our passage also says that drunkenness leads to debauchery. Now, the Strong's Concordance defines, defines the word translated as debauchery to mean an abandoned and dissolute life. Drunkenness is abandoning our grip of time to unrestrained living. I think this is why Paul comes after drunkenness here in particular. Being in a drunken state is the opposite of carefully considering how we walk. Both spiritually and physically, drunkenness causes you to stagger, to lose control, to expose you to all manner of dangers. When a Christian gets drunk, they lose control of what should be Christ's, abandoning the time that is his to the influence of alcohol. So we should have nothing to do with drunkenness, right? It is a sin in and of itself, but it is also a sin that leads to more sin. Take care that you do not walk in drunkenness. Now, obviously, Paul was not trying to give us an exhaustive list of all the ways we can abandon time here. In this one example of drunkenness, he gives us a principle that extends much further, and we can push that truth out into the corners. Sober-mindedness has gone from almost all spheres of thought today. You would think that many people were drunk if you listened to the way that they reasoned. So flippant, totally unbound by principles. Our culture could hardly be described as careful and considered. Amongst some men, it is even cool to be a dropkick. There is a reason the Jackass series was so popular. It is cool to not give a rip. It is seriously seriously lame to be serious. Even when you are sober, it is good and proper to act a little bit high, a little bit lost. It's funny, it's light. There are also other weird subcultures that are drunk on social media fame, doing things that are wildly unnatural and uninhibited for the sake of the cameras. Many have lost control of their minds. Now, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I point these things out to show you how they fit, in a sense, under the banner of drunkenness. We've got two poles here, drunkenness being filled with the Spirit, and there's a spectrum in between. As Christians, we must not get drunk with wine, and we might not do that, but we might be influenced by a drunk culture. We are called to not only avoid drunkenness, but to put on sober-mindedness. Look at the parallels that can be found with our passage today and Peter's teachings in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. These days are evil. We need to be careful how we walk and redeem the time. Instead of being drunk... Paul says we should be filled with the Spirit. We should be controlled by the Spirit of Christ in us. If He is governing our walk, our walk would have to be pleasing to Him. It is His walk, His use of our time. So we've considered how Paul's binary application applies to redeeming the time. Drunkenness does not lay hold of time for Christ, A spirit-filled life does lay hold of time for Christ. This means a spirit-wrought sober-mindedness is fundamental to a strong and healthy Christian walk. That's the key teaching today. It also has to be said that when this principle is lived out on a larger scale in a church community or even a Christian nation, this will produce a sober-minded and stable culture. We see in verse 18 that this command to be filled with the Spirit requires a body, a singing people. This command was meant to be lived out in a Christian culture over time. So where does it say that? Verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. If we are to be redeeming the time in an evil day, we need to be speaking to one another with songs. We need to be part of a thankful, singing people. This is what a Christian culture should look like. Drunkenness also forms a culture on the other end of the spectrum. We all know of New Zealand's drinking culture, and it is universally considered unhealthy, even by most non-Christians. Drunks like to waste time with other drunks, but it cannot be said that they are doing it to serve one another. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another redeems the time and builds each other up. Our hearts are joined together in song so that we share in each other's experience of thankfulness. We rejoice in the goodness of God together, and there's something unique about that. You can do this alone, but you are missing out on something essential if it is always being done alone. We are filled with the Spirit through corporate singing. So it follows, an essential component of redeeming the time is not neglecting to meet together to sing. I'll spare you another complaint about the church during COVID. We all know about the failings of those times by now. And this church does, doesn't need to hear another complaint about the church's neglecting the psalms either. You all know psalms are essential to the life of the church. We've felt their benefits as we sing them here at church. There is no need to preach to this choir. But it is worth pointing out, given our subject today, that psalm singing is a key component of redeeming the time for Christ's sake. We must continue giving our time to it. Now, there is another one another at the end of this section of Scripture, and I I want to briefly touch on that before we finish. Verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. A key component of redeeming the time is being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Subject to one another. What does that mean? Here's what Calvin said. God has bound us, the church, so strongly to each other that no man ought to endeavor to avoid subjection. And where love reigns, mutual service will be rendered. Even kings and governors are not exempt from this, whose very authority is held for the service of the community. It is highly proper that all should be exhorted to be subject to each other in their turn. As we go into the new year, it will be helpful to remember what this church, Redwood Reformation Church, is. This will affect how we walk as a church. God has bound us together so strongly by way of covenant that we must not avoid subjecting ourselves to each other. The need to sing to one another highlighted our need for each other in one way. But this goes far beyond that. If we are to redeem the time well, we need to be subjecting ourselves to each other, caring for both our spiritual and physical needs. Jesus said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This loving subjection takes time. We need to devote time to it. It is so easy to be comfortable at home and believe we are, have no need for community. But that is not the will of the Lord. We need to be subject to each other in the fear of Christ, and this is not a trifling matter. The days are evil, and we need each other. We need each other's time. Giving time outside the church service has been a major failure of the modern church, and it cannot be here, uh, be ours here at Reedwood. So bringing the sermon into land now, we need to seize this new year for Jesus Christ. So what applications or resolutions do you need to make from this text? These things need to be worked out in the individual and and at the household level. We need to be intentional with our time and draw strength from our church community of thankful singers. We must be careful to walk this way, not in drunkenness, but with the control and guidance of the Holy Spirit that is imparted through the means of grace in the church. I think as a church we have been doing this pretty well, but it is good and necessary to strive for greater faithfulness, right? And we often need to be reminded of essential truths so that they sink deeper into our souls. If we make a resolution right now to make an extra phone call to a brother or sister each week, That change isn't going to last long if we do not love what we are called to and the people that we are called to serve. Doug Wilson often says that the key to parenting is to teach your children to love the standard. It is the same with the church. I pray that the Holy Spirit has caused you to love the standard we are called to today. The Christian walk is truly a beautiful walk. His commands are not burdensome and are always for our good. So let's thank him for, our, for his commands right now. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the wonderful calling we have as a church body to love each other and to serve each other, to subject ourselves to each other. We thank you for what you have done in this church this year. We thank you for the days that you've given us, the way that you have kept us from this evil age the way that you've poured out your grace toward us through the preaching of your word, through the singing of songs, through all the things that you've given us, Lord. We have so much to thank you for. And Lord, we pray that you would be with us into the new year, that you would help us to look at our feet, to look at our hands, to pay attention to where we might be more faithful. Lord, all of your standards are good, holy, and right. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to follow them more. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's stand and sing. Oh, church arise! Oh, church arise! And put your armor on in the call of Christ
1: our Captain. Oh, now we say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With strength of faith.